Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, July the 15th, 2020, titled Another Han Solo Movie Could Happen, hence Alden Ehrenreich. And a reminder, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also get a comment or question on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment right on the show, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And now, let's get to the episode. Hey, listen, though, I was joking about Warrior Nun on the new Netflix show. So we finished it last night. Oh, okay. Anna and I, Anna and I finished it last night. Warrior Nun. I'm very frustrated with the show. I'm very frustrated with it. Oh, it's, okay. it's, um, it's a great premise, and they certainly do some very interesting things in it. You can feel the low-budgetness of it as you're going through, but that's okay. I mean, the filmmakers, they don't control what they're, the budget they get, so they do the best they can, and that's fine, and that's good. But again, the lack of character development in the main character, the fact that the main character isn't very likable, she gets a little bit more likable near the end. But here's the big thing, and I won't give away what it is, but you know how we were talking about Old Guard, and I was saying one of the best things about the Old Guard, the Charlize Theron film on Netflix, is that at the end of the movie, it does this great job of doing two things. It totally wraps up the movie so it right. feels like a truly well-told act one, act two, act three, bring it to conclusion story, while at the same time opening the door for where a sequel could go. So it does – it accomplishes both, right? Complete self-contained story, very satisfying ending, and yet it still opens the door for thing. I'm not going to say anything about what it does. This – I felt like Warrior Nun starts to fall off the rails in the last one or two episodes. It's like all of a sudden – what felt like a very calculated plot progression suddenly went, oh, by the way, this out of nowhere, and now this out of nowhere, and this, uh -oh. which makes no sense. And then a twist, the best twists in movies and TV shows are ones that surprise you, but you go, oh my God, yeah, as you look back at the movie, all the clues were there. They were all there. Oh, those are the best twists, right? This thing has a twist where it's like, okay, that makes no effing sense. That makes no effing sense whatsoever. And there is no conclusion to anything. The, the whole thing ends on a giant uh, cliffhanger with no resolution to any of the stuff that was going on. There's still like 15 unanswered questions dangling and none of them get answered. And it's just, okay, guys, see you next year. And it's like, oh, come on. You've got – that's not how you – you know, Supernatural, Rob? I know I'm a Supernatural homeboy. I, I totally am. I get it. But Supernatural, every season – they wrap up their story in the final yeah. episode of that season. And then in the final two minutes – introduce what's going to be what the next season is going to be about this was just like it answered no questions it didn't tie up any of the threads and, and i just found when it ended my wife and i just looked at each other like well that was frustrating that was frustrating but uh i don't know did you get anywhere did you get past episode no, one yet no no i, I want I you to watch it because i'd be really interested in knowing your thoughts on it yeah uh, if, if you get through the whole thing but uh anyway guys hey listen we have a bunch of things to talk about here today, guys, and we're going to get into your, into the main topics here in just a second, but I'm going to let you guys know that the second half of the show is dedicated to your live questions. If you want to send in a live question now or at any time, 24-7, you can just go to the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video. Just click on it, or you can enter it manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your live question on the show a little bit later, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. Now, before we get to our main topics... 
One little thing to talk about off the top, and that is this. One of the movies that was supposed to be in production, kind of got delayed, wondering when it's happening, all that kind of stuff. Actually, they were on set to start shooting day one of this movie when they got shut down, when everybody showed up, and that is for the upcoming Uncharted movie. Well, guess what, folks? Uncharted is now actually officially shooting. Uh, According to stories coming out and according to Tom Holland and his Instagram account, they are now up and running. They've begun production in Berlin. So I thought this was rather interesting. And by the way, he also put out a picture of himself, Tom Holland, the other day. I know it's hard to see from from this picture. You have to go find his own post itself. Tom Holland is not only getting ripped for this, he is get, he's putting on significant body weight. He's putting on significant mass at the same time. He's looking bigger right now than he's ever looked. And why is he getting so big? Well, he puts it on his thing there. When working with Mark Wahlberg... You got to get after it because Mark Wahlberg is a psychopath. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the videos of Mark Wahlberg and and his workout routine and what he does and and how he trains every day. He is an absolute psychopath. The dude goes to bed at seven so he can get up at three to work out in the morning. I mean, he's a psychopath. So I guess if you're working with him on this, Rob, what's interesting to me about this is that, and and maybe even a little encouraging, and we've talked about this before, is the fact that in the midst of everything being shut down, the tenant being bumped twice and could very well be bumped again, and all this kind of stuff, and known the theaters being closed and all that kind of stuff, it's at least good to see, we've talked about Jurassic World Dominion is back up and running, Batman is, is back up and running. It's good to see that that part of the industry is able to keep moving, even if it's not here in the United States at the second, uh, at this moment. And by the way, I am still of the mindset that I was before. I think this Uncharted thing is a great idea, and I think it could end up being really, really good. Uh, I, if they can take the same mindset and approach and philosophy to it that they did with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, another Sony property, I a lot of people were upset that they went with a younger guy. I think that was a smart move. I think it shows that they've got long-term plans for this character. Yeah. They're not just looking at Uncharted as a one-and-done. They want to invest heavily into this Nathan Drake character and they have a long-term commitment to try to make this into something that lasts a long time. You get a Mark Wahlberg as a slightly younger Sully. It gives you a lot of options. I I like what we're seeing. It could be a dumpster fire, yes, but I like what we're seeing. Rob, you see that they've started shooting this movie. Does this give you any encouragement or what type of type of perspective do you put this in right now? No, I, I look, I think it's great that that the industry is getting back to work. You know, as long as it means that people can get their insurance bonds, it means that people are, are, are well, as Tom Holland put it, they're getting after it. And I like look, I've always sort of the Tom Holland casting in this movie has always sort of he's so kid like where I always saw Nathan Drake as being an Indiana Jones an uh, analogous to Indiana Jones, like in his mid thirties. But if 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 Tom Holland's going to bulk up, I don't mind them skewing younger, hoping that they're going to make like they did with the game series multiple films. I mean, I really like Tom Holland as a performer. You can't not like his screen presence. It's going to be interesting to see how he sort of drakes it up compared to his Spider Man. Like, is he going to have that Indiana Jones persona, like some hard bitten youngster? I don't know, but. I love the game franchise. I really want to see this movie. I hope it's great. I think it probably will be. Everybody seems to talk about, they rave about the script. 
So I'm just hoping that we're going to get something really special out of this. Maybe it'll be the first video game movie that I felt the first Uncharted video game was the very first time I was as invested in characters and a story as I was in a movie. So I've always seen the Uncharted franchise as being that fulcrum between sort of games and movies. So it'd be interesting mm. to see that this Uncharted movie becomes the first, at least from a creative standpoint, the very first most successful video game adaptation. So it's, I'm hoping. It's fingers crossed. I mean, the last Laura Croft one, uh, the last Tomb Raider, actually wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a wasn't. great movie, but I thought it wasn't a bad little thing. You know what's funny? Because I had this discussion with a friend of mine just the other day because we were Tom Holland came up and, and there's still this perception out there that Tom Holland is really young. And like, there's a friend of mine saying, he's like, what is he, 19? He's he's turning 25. Right. <laughs> but but it's funny because when he, if he wants to play up the young aspect of himself, like teenage Peter Parker, he could totally come across as 16 or 17 years old. Here's the, I think that once we get him into this Uncharted, if you're looking at these pictures of him now, I'm thinking he's going to start coming off mid-20s. At least, I kind of hope he does. Question is for you guys. What do you think? About the fact that, hey, amidst all the shutdown, Uncharted is now officially shooting. Does it make you feel a little bit more hopeful for the industry in these really weird times? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down, guys, let's move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Cabe Show? Well, you see, it's really rather simple. You guys come up with our main topics by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator. Good to have Geeky Gator back, who writes in, Hey, John and gang, Solo was the only Star Wars movie to lose money. Yes, it was. And despite some fans really adamant about getting a sequel, I don't think we will. But in a recent interview with Esquire, Alden Ehrenreich seemed to hint that there is some hope, saying that he heard some stuff regarding his future as Han, and that it, but that it isn't concrete. Do you think this means they are developing a Disney Plus show with some of the solo characters? All right, thanks for sending this in, man. And yes, that has been a question about what do you do with Solo? Because Solo, the movie Solo is a really interesting situation. Number one, it's a movie that that myself and a bunch of other people from day one that they announced it never thought this was a movie that even should have been made. Like making a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford when we just had Harrison Ford on screen again 18 months earlier playing Han Solo, I thought was a fool's errand from the beginning. But they went ahead. They had all the behind the scenes drama with Lord Miller. Then you got the great Ron Howard stepped in and delivered what I thought was a pretty damn good space adventure movie. I, I thought Han I thought the Solo movie was actually pretty good, even though I don't think they ever should have made it. But there's no getting away from the fact that the movie lost money and is the only Star Wars movie in history to lose money. So the question becomes, what do you do with this solo character? It seemed bleak that they would ever do something again. But in a recent interview with Esquire, you're right. Alden Ehrenreich seems to give a little bit of hope, although small. Here's what he is written in the Esquire or, or piece on him. Asked if he knows if they're going to do another solo. He says, no, I, I don't know anything about that. I mean, you know, I think our movie was kind of the last conventional era Star Wars movie release time, he said. But 
there is a sliver of hope. He has heard that rumors about uh, about happenings in the Star Wars world, and he says directly, I've heard some stuff, but nothing concrete. I've heard some stuff, but nothing concrete. This is interesting because we've heard in recent days, Rob, from uh, you know, the original writer of Solo and stuff like that saying, hey, you know what? There's no plans to do a Disney Plus show. There's certainly no plans there. There's no plans to do another movie and all that kind of stuff. But along comes Aaron Reich. He says, well, actually, I've heard some stuff. Nothing concrete, but I've heard some stuff. Rob, do you think at this point, especially when you consider all the drama that went on behind the scenes with Solo, the fact that it is the only Star Wars movie in history to lose money at the box office – Probably a movie that never should have been made, but yet ultimately turned out to be a pretty damn good movie. Do you think there's any chance you're taking Alden Ehrenreich's comments into consideration? You think there's any possibility here we could actually be seeing? And I feel like we've talked about this before, but now with Ehrenreich's comments, could we see more Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo in the future? Okay, I have a theory about this, John. All right. And I call it the Rob Burnett Hot Toys Theory of the Universe. Oh, here we go. And and so to me, when I look into if you want to if you want to judge something's popularity, you have to look into whether or not first of all, Hot Toys makes toys from whatever it is you're talking about. <laughs> and two, they're the litmus if, test. <laughs> two, if those Hot Toys sell. Now, a lot of the Force Awakens and the the uh, sequel trilogy toys that Hot Toys makes are still easily available. Whether it's Kylo Ren or Ray or BB-8 or whoever, you can get those Hot Toys. You know what Hot Toys you can't get? The Solo Hot Toys. They all sell out. They just released the regular Alden Enreich Solo Hot Toy figure and they released him as a mud trooper when he was fighting for the Empire. Sold out. Collectors want them. I think that whether it's Disney Plus or whatever, the numbers for Solo in terms of rewatchability and popularity, because all the people that rejected Solo at the theaters went, man, I can't go see that movie. Or for whatever reason, the reason it lost money, I think that in ancillary markets, people have discovered this film. I think people watch it. I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers on Solo in terms of, say, Disney Plus surpass the numbers of various uh, of the sequel trilogy films. I think people really like this movie. I think it happened to other movies in home video like Shawshank Redemption. You know, the film lost money when it was in its theatrical run. And now it's one of the most beloved movies of all time. I think that they look at this and go, you know what? We now have Mandalorian technology available to us. We don't have to spend $200 million to go make a solo sequel based on, let's call, if every episode of The Mandalorian is between $15 and $20 million and they're half an hour long, let's say it's $20 million bucks. That's $80 million for a two-hour movie using their technology that they have. I think that it's become financially viable to make a solo sequel and make it for less than $100 million. And I think when you look at those kinds of economics and you're looking at Disney streaming money, the same way that they're able to finance the Snyder Cut and justify it for HBO, I even think it's probably the Snyder Cut's going to cost up to $80 million. If they break it into four episodes, well, 
that's not a whole lot of money for a streaming show. I mean, it's still a lot of money, but it's it's on the upper end of just being a little out of reach. But I think that Solo is a lot more well-liked now than it was, say, when it first came out because a lot more people have seen it, and those numbers don't lie. They'll have the viewing numbers. They'll be able to go, well, clearly there's something here. Maybe maybe we should do another one using Mando Tech. I know you didn't just compare Shawshank Redemption to Solo, but I was. I think you know the whole thing about the whole. Um, what did they call that stagecraft technology? They gave they gave a name to the room. I'm trying to remember what name they gave it. Um, they called it the something, but but yeah. whatever it is, you know that that does raise some interesting possibilities. What they could do there, I, I still wonder because I think you raise a good point. It still leaves me wondering though. Because I haven't seen Solo pop up on the top of any of the, the streaming charts. Like when I go to, you know, most viewed or popular now, I, I never really see it. I still can't help but wonder if the, the, the heads of Lucasfilm wouldn't think, yeah, we could do a Solo project that failed for us with the audience. It didn't, people weren't interested in it, or we could do something new. And so that's going to be interesting. But I, I never talk, took into consideration the fact that all the hot toys sold out, which could tell you something about that too. I, I, well that's the only reason i i mean I, I in a way i say that tongue-in-cheek but i also say that the people that buy star wars merch us like the adults who are been spending 250 dollars a pop on a figure the fact that those those solo figures sold out that people didn't leave them on the shelves that says something that means that that people even us people with disposable income like that movie enough to be spending 500 or 250 bucks a pop on those figures. And I do think, you know, it's like the old home video days. A movie like Terminator, which did really, really well in the theater, but it did even better on home video. So when the first $100 million movie gets made seven years after it's originally released, they, they spend $100 million on Terminator 2 because they're like, wow, you know. And I think that this film, and by the way, I wasn't comparing. The only comparison I, I was making between such, I, wanna, I don't want people to go, ah, oh, that Rob Burnett, he's completely been discredited. But but uh, I mean that, that uh, sometimes movies find their audience in ancillary markets, and that happened a lot in home video. It doesn't happen that much anymore because the home video uh, on physical media is just not as vibrant as it used to be. So that market, you know, but now you'd see it with streaming. And I do think, especially on Disney Plus, when everything has sort of been, you can compare and contrast. Can you imagine, like, if they ever release those views, John? You've got all the Star Wars movies. It's like what what I found interesting about Netflix and Star Trek is that the most streamed Star Trek people were watching was Voyager, because a lot of Star Trek fans didn't watch Voyager when it was on, and they're finding it again. They come back and they're like, "Wow, we like this." And even I have to say. I've revisited Voyager on streaming and I've enjoyed it. And I think maybe Solo has second life because of that. Well, the question here for you guys is this. You know, we've gone over the whole Solo situation and, of course, the Twitter hashtag Make Solo 2 Happen and all that kind of stuff. But now we've got Alden Ehrenreich weighing in here. So my question for you guys is this, and I made that the topic of today's question of the day. I wanted to ask your guys' opinion. Just before the show started, I, I threw up this poll. Right now, about 2,400 of you guys have uh, answered it. And the question was simply this. Alden Ehrenreich has hinted there could be more Han Solo in the future if, and that's a big if, if so, do you think it would be for a Solo two or whether that's on uh, the theatrical or whether it's on disney plus or could he be involved in a separate ensemble kind of movie or show we talk about this and more right now 
out of about the 2,400 of you guys who have answered, only 28% of you think that if there is more Han Solo with Alden Ehrenreich, that would actually be in a solo movie or or show, whereas 72% of you say, think, yeah, he could come back, but it would probably be more in the idea of an ensemble show or movie, uh, which is, I, I got to tell you, I'm surprised. I thought it'd be more even than that, but only 28% of you guys are saying a solo, solo movie, whereas 72% of you are saying an ensemble of some sorts. I'm going to leave that up. By the way, if you guys are wondering where you can find the poll, it is make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's in the community tab of our YouTube channel. You can go and find it there and cast your vote. So what do you guys think? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Yusuf F., who writes, Hey, John, like most people, I'm very excited for the Batman from Matt Reeves. I just saw a report that says they're going to be scrapping all their location shooting for the rest of the movie and move into man-made studios. Why would they make a movie like this? It can't possibly it can't possibly have the same authentic feeling as a real as real streets and real setting, can it? Does this mean they'll rely more on CGI and digital? Wouldn't it be easier to just use real physical locations? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Yusuf. And yeah, man, I mean, you raise a really good point. There is a report going around right now that admits Batman getting ready to, to ramp back up and start shooting again, that all their planned shots for location shooting out in the streets and stuff like that, they're scrapping it and going back to like the Tim Burton 89 sound stages which a lot of Gotham that you see in the Tim Burton 89 thing is sound stages and going back inside. Now, this comes from a tweet. However, it's not some rando out there. This tweet comes from Variety uh, a veteran, and he is the host of the Netflix official uh, Netflix podcast, uh, Chris Tapley, who wrote the following. I'm hearing the Batman picks up back in September. All locations are scrapped, building everything in studio now. Now, I should point out, I know Chris Tapley. Uh, actually, when I was in L.A. and trying to figure out where to live in L.A., he let me crash at his place for a while. So I, I know Chris Tapley. I haven't talked to Chris in years, but if I can tell you this. If this Chris Tapley is not uh, Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart, okay? If Chris Tapley says something, you can pretty much take it to the bank if Chris Tapley is saying it. So Tapley is saying that the Batman picks up in September, all locations scrapped, buildings, every uh, building everything in studio now. All right, let's go back to one of the things, Yusuf, you were talking about. Isn't it easier just to shoot outside on location? In some ways, yeah. But there is intangible advantages to shooting on a soundstage. And I think in a pandemic era, one of those advantages becomes really important, which is your soundstage becomes an absolute controlled environment. You can control everything in there. You can control how bright or dark everything is. You can control the air circulation. You can control much, much better who gets into set and who is not coming into set. And again, right now in a pandemic era, that can become paramount. Rob, I actually wouldn't be surprised at all if the whole thing about this move of going from outdoor location shooting to indoor sound stages has a lot to do, maybe not exclusively, 
but maybe has a lot to do with the whole notion of we got to be able to lock down, control this environment, control to make sure people only who have been tested in our protocols are then allowed to enter the actual soundstage, exposing other people and all that kind of stuff. This is what we've got to do. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the move at all. And ultimately, dude, you'd be surprised how many movies you watch that you think are on location that are actually done on sound stages. I have a feeling a lot of us probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference, uh, especially with t t today's technology that they have. So, Rob, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking this kind of makes sense in a pandemic era. I, I, I don't see a lot of drawbacks to it. It is expensive, but we've already seen Warner Brothers is putting up a lot of movie, a lot of money, I should say, to get Jurassic World Dominion back up and running properly with their new safety protocols. So I don't know. You hear about this, Rob. Does it make sense to you? What do you think their motivations are? How do you see this? Well, first of all, remember, before the shutdown, the Batman was deep into filming. Yeah. Obviously, the first picture pictures we saw like of him on that motorcycle in a graveyard or something. They've done a lot of exterior work already. And, you know, anybody who's a fan of, say, Zack Snyder's The Snyder Cut knows how much of Justice League was shot on locate. I mean, uh, on sound stages. And now, I mean, you think like you pointed out, John, you know, Warner Brothers, which this is a Warner Brothers movie, has a really big studio backlot still. They've got the New York Street set. They shot, obviously, Blade Runner there famously. Um, they've got enough at that studio, whether it's stage 16, which is gigantic stage. They can do with blue screen technology or green screen technology now, they they can do a heck of a lot at Warner Brothers. And I think that, you know, like you said, you'd be very surprised just how many movies have been shot on sound stages. I mean, that's and, and the studio backlots. I mean, that's how movies are made for a very, very long time. So I think they probably if they made this decision, they've already got enough location stuff that they've done. And, you know, even using, like we just talked about, the stagecraft technology that Lucasfilm was pioneering for The Mandalorian, they can make use of all that. So I wouldn't worry about something like that. I mean, movie movie magic is movie magic, and I, I don't think you have to worry. And the fact is they were shooting on location for a very long time. So a decision like this, look, Warner Brothers doesn't want to skimp. They're going to make sure that they've got a lot riding on this Batman movie. So I think... No matter what they do, it's going to wind up being spectacular. And like you said, most of Tim Burton's Batman movies, both of them, were shot at the studio, even in interiors for exteriors. Most of Gotham was built inside a soundstage for the Burton movies. Here's a question for you, Rob. You, you, you pointed out that th there's already been a lot of outdoor location shooting and stuff like that. Do you think they're at a point now, technology-wise, that now that they're going to shift to shooting, uh, according to the report at any rate, mostly, if not entirely now for the rest of the shoot, on indoor locations and sound stages and stuff like that, do you think they're going to be able to make that feel seamless, or do you think we as an audience are going to feel that jarring shifting of gears from, well, that was clearly shot outside and that clearly wasn't. Or do you think they're going to be able to make that feel pretty seamless? They're going to absolutely make it feel seamless. I absolutely think that. I mean, the only thing that I can, uh, that, that I could say is that when they make these decisions, especially midway through, this isn't some haphazard hail Mary. They think they can make it work. They know they can make it work. And also remember, you know, Maybe you don't have your entire principal cast, but you shoot second unit. You know, you've got a small, if you need to shoot car chases outside or something, 
you know, you've you've got your controlled AD, you got your police, you've got whatever you need to block the streets off, but you still have a crack second unit team to go out and get as much exteriors as you need, and it's going to be seamless. You're not going to be able to tell. All right, guys, the question then is for you. What do you think about Warner Brothers now taking the production of Batman from outdoors to indoors? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think it makes sense in the pandemic era? Do you think maybe it's going to feel jarring on screen that we as audiences will be able to feel the difference? What do you think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, with that down, guys, let's move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Edward Hickey, who writes, Greetings from New York. Well, greetings, Edward. Movie fans in my area have been keeping a close eye on a court case here where the movie theaters have been trying to get the courts to allow them to open up again despite the government ban on them doing so. Well, the results just came in and the court said that they have to stay closed. Do you think the theaters will try again in other areas or just accept defeat and wait till they're told they can open again? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, there's been a court case for those of you who aren't aware of it. There's been a court case going on in New Jersey that basically it is a bunch of movie theaters. I think it might be NATO as a whole, the North American Theater Owners Association. I think it might be NATO itself that brought a challenge to courts and has a, a case outstanding. Basically, they're suing the government, the, uh, the the governor, because according to them, the governor is doing something that is unfair. Now, the idea is basically that they're upset. As you can see here, a federal judge in New Jersey on Tuesday um, denied the theater industry's request for temporary restraining order that would allow them for to, to reopen. The thing their problem was is this, is that you're saying we got to be closed. But you're but at the same time, churches are allowed to be open and there's some other public gathering things that are allowed to be open. It is fundamentally unfair, the movie theater said, that these places should be open, but you're singling us out and we're not allowed to be open when really we're probably going to be a safer place to be. That was their their point. Now, they have. Uh, we did get a little bit of a judgment. This is what came down from that thing. The National Association of Theater Owners, along with several chains, including AMC, Cinemark, and Regal, all collectively filed a suit on July 6th, arguing that Governor Phil Murray had infringed on their First Amendment rights by ordering movie theaters to close while churches, libraries, and other venues remain open. The ruling is a setback for the business, which had hoped that the injunction would mean that cinemas in, ma in a major market, one in close proximity to New York, could soon, soon welcome patrons. So that comes from Variety. Now, there's a couple important things to keep in mind here about this. Number one is that this wouldn't have just been a New Jersey thing. Yes, this, this case was about New Jersey. But if, new, if a judge in New Jersey kind of passed down that, you know what? Yes, this is unfair that certain places can open and you can't, you can be open. It sets in legal terms, something called precedent and precedent is very big and very important. And that would have been used in other jurisdictions, maybe causing. Now, the other important thing to keep in mind here is this, this isn't the end of this case. The actual case itself is set to be heard, I believe on August 4th. What this was, was that NATO and the movie theaters filed for a motion that says, hey, judge, while we're waiting for our August 4th trial date to start here and, and, and to have this, this case heard out, 
Can you make a preliminary judgment that says, in the meantime, we're allowed to be open until this case gets resolved? That is what the judge denied. So there's still going to be a case. On August 4th, this whole thing, uh, the proceedings start on this, and maybe it could still work out for them. But the judge has denied them this, what they call an initial injunction. You guys know my general feelings on this. My general feelings on this are, I believe, following the proper safety procedures, it is reasonable that people should be allowed to go into certain places. The problem, of course, becomes that a lot of people ignore those safety procedures, and it makes it problematic. It makes it problematic uh, for everybody else. So I don't know what's going to happen. I have a hard time seeing a judge basically saying... Yes, we're going to allow movie theaters open. I, I just don't see that happening. Not to mention, Rob, I don't know that the theaters are ready to open at this point anyway. So I, I'm not really sure. Anyway, Rob, you have taken a look at this case. You've seen what's going on there in New Jersey. What do you think about this preliminary ruling? And do you think there's any chance here, not that I'm expecting you to be a legal expert, but do you think there's any chance here that come August 4th, when the actual case starts its proceedings, that maybe the findings could be that, yeah, hey, if you're going to let churches and everything else be open, you got to let the movie theaters be open. Or do you think that makes them go back to the governor and say, hey, listen, if you want the movie theaters to stay closed, you're going to have to also make these other places closed. I mean, I don't know. How do you see this? You know, I've been following this case and reading a lot about what's going on here. And uh, it, it uh, again, I think the argument to try and equate churches and what what churches have uh, traditionally the, the role that they've played in our lives over the well, since human beings for time immemorial, our belief in a higher power for getting us through tough times. I consider movie theaters my church. But a lot of people don't. I don't think you can say they're both places where the public is gathering. I mean, you can say that. But and I don't think that movie theaters – I want movie theaters open as much as the next person, John. I really, really do. But I don't think using churches as an example of a place for public gatherings as an example for movie theaters is necessarily a winning strategy. While, yes, on the surface – they are places of public gatherings. But in this day and age, I think for a lot of people, maybe not us, there's a real need to go to church. There's a real need. I mean, it's getting people there. Uh, there's a lot of people that still have a lot of faith. And and I I just don't think any public gatherings are are I've seen no evidence that large public gatherings are safe. We're watching COVID cases rise in our, in the country right now, and I, I think it's mostly because of public gatherings. So I think that as much as I want movie theaters to open, I don't think churches should be open either. I don't think shopping malls should be open. Clearly, we have not licked this pandemic. We've not done the work that we needed to do to tamp it down. So I unfortunately think that the movie theaters are going to lose out on this one. I don't want them to because we saw last Friday that, that – AMC had a bailout. They got $600 million as an infusion of cash to keep them going even through the end of this year if they have to. I just think it's not safe yet, man. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, an awkward situation. We get closer to these these July 30th dates and July 31st, which is when AMC and Regal respectively have claimed they're going to reopen their theaters. That's becoming a question mark. Of course, it becomes a bigger question mark again if 
like you and I were talking before the show a little bit. Look, if they do announce, which is becoming more and more likely that Tenet, Mulan, whatever, are probably going to get bumped again. They're probably going to get bumped out of August. So probably going to be bumped into September, maybe even October. If that's the case, then you got these movie theaters where there's no point in opening up right now. Right. Like they do need to get open before these movies hit again. But we're talking about they need to be open two to three weeks before these movies hit and, and come out. So if like if for whatever reason Mulan gets bumped into like September and, and Tenet gets moved in September, there's no reason for AMC to open back up. There's no reason for Regal to open back up at this point. They're just going to have to sit and buy their time anyway. So the whole point may be moot. The whole point may be moot at this well, point. Well, also, you know, you know the, they, the, what people don't understand, and if you read articles about Tenet, they're expecting the movie. It needs to, it needs to make $800 million to break even. And and even beyond that, they're expecting more than a, a breaking even is not a, what they want. They want to make money. And the thing is, if the worldwide theaters are not open, they're just not able to reach that kind of uh, of a monetary milestone. They can't get there. And another thing that's happening, what people forgetting is that, you know, we've got outbreaks that are increasing here in California, in Texas, in Florida. These are well-traveled states. And people are coming and going to states and they're going outward back to their own home states. That's why New York has imposed fairly draconian uh, quarantine requirements for people that are traveling. We really have to start realizing that we don't have a handle on this and people are still traveling all over the country now. And and that's one of the real problems is that people go and they become super spreaders and it's we're not doing a great job handling this pandemic. I mean, half our population thinks it's a, a plot by the Dems, you know, to derail the election or another group of people thinks something else. And it's it's just it's crazy. And I just wish we would take this seriously because I feel like we did take it seriously. And now people are bored of it. So they want to move on to something else. And look what's happening. We're running out of hospital beds here in California. It's an ever-evolving story, guys. It's an ever-evolving thing that we're in. So, guys, question here is, what do you think about this court case going on in New Jersey? Do you think what's happened right now makes sense? Do you think it could change once the actual proceedings start? If so, do you think it could have precedents going out? Or does it all become irrelevant because we all think that Mulan and and Tenet are going to get bumped out of August anyway? Let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. How much money, if they made Tenet available to you tomorrow on a PayPal platform, how much money, what would be the most money you would pay to see Tenant at your house right now? Me? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bad case study because obviously I'm- I know you're- ch- uh, 20 bucks. Really? What yeah. if it was 35 or no. 40? Would you do it? Nope. You wouldn't invite I'm, I'm, friends over? Nope. Maybe have everybody kick in five bucks? Nope. I mean, well, I mean, you also got to keep something else in mind here. I'm not having more than three or four people over to my house at a time as, as it right. is right now with the pandemic and everything. So, no, yeah. if I could have like if I could have 50 people come over and and pack into my uh, into my uh, living room down there and pop on tenant for 40 bucks and I could have like 20, 30, 40 people here. Yeah, maybe I do that. But you got to understand me, too, like. Watching a movie at home, I know some people have different opinions on this. Watching a movie at home sucks compared to watching a movie uh, in the I, way no, it's I meant agree. to be watched. You know, so I, 
yeah, so, so for me, and I'm not saying everybody should feel this way. I'm just saying this for me. For me, the idea of paying more money to not get the real experience of a new Christopher Nolan movie. And Christopher Nolan is one of those directors who really knows how to use the big screen with his yeah. cinematography and all that kind of stuff. So the idea for me of paying more money to get a lesser experience doesn't sound appealing. Again, if I had to pay what I would normally pay for a movie ticket, pay 20 bucks to get it tomorrow, I might do that. But I, uh, but really not much more than that. And I think you're going to find a lot of people wouldn't, but I, I don't know what, I mean, I, th I think you would, you would break the bank. You would sell half of your hot toy collection. I think to watch the new Christopher Nolan film tomorrow. Would you not like what, what would your threshold be? Dude, I want to see, I would pay 50 bucks. <laughs> I would pay 50 bucks as long as you could watch it for like three days, because I would watch it like three or four times, assuming it's that good. Because I loved – I saw Inception eight times in the theater and I can't tell you how many times I've watched it on home video. But I just really – I want to see that movie so damn bad. I want to see Justice for Han. I really want to see No Time to Die. I just want to go back to the movies, John. And you know – and, and honestly, honestly, seriously, get, getting lost in a lot of this is Mulan. Like, because obviously, Tenet is yeah. Christopher Nolan. I am actually very excited to watch Mulan. I love the trailers. I, me too. And I like Nikki Caro as a director. So, uh, man, I, uh, anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about all this? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that stuff down and out of the way, we're now going to move into our live questions part of this show. But before we do, as Rob and I do just about every day here, we're going to take a quick two-minute break, two or three-minute break here. We're going to rest the vocal cords, stretch the legs. I got to go refill my drink and give you a chance to run and use the bathroom, whatever. But hang tight with us, guys. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with your live questions. We'll see you in just a few moments. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. And now let's get on to your live question, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with Jimmy Norrison, who writes, Hey, John, uh, theaters have been open for almost a month here in Alberta, Canada. I know I've been I've been hearing from some people up in Alberta that the theaters have been open there because, you know, Canadians have just done a much better job with this pandemic. Anyway, uh, I met my girlfriend working at Cineplex. That's the big movie theater chain in Canada. Uh, she was hired back, but I'm still on temporary layoff. They'll only hire more staff back based on business levels. That makes sense. But seeing how the states uh, handle this pandemic, but albeit it's pretty clear tenant will be pushed back again, most likely. On the bright side, got to take my girlfriend to see some older films. We saw Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice. For the first time, found out that she hadn't seen Dark Knight. So we saw that too. You know, Jimmy, that's one of the things we've been talking about here, like almost on a daily basis. And I love hearing, you know, our fellow movie fans making lemonade out of lemons. Um, or, or as I saw one of the, one of the good lines in warrior nun was making chicken soup out of chicken shit, um, making lemonade out of the lemons we've been handed and using the opportunity to, to go to the theater, see movies like Pulp Fiction. You probably never would have seen on the big screen again, getting to go see, oh my God, your girlfriend got to see the dark Knight for the first time. And it was on the big screen. I mean, that's amazing. So good on you for that, man. I'm glad you've been able to take advantage of that situation, Jimmy. All right. Next up. Jake Pyle writes, Hey, John, as a part of lockdown, I've had the chance of seeing films that I've not seen before. Again, making lemonades out of the lemons. Uh, the films I'm watching this week are uh, Night of the Living Dead, The Deadpool, not to be confused with Deadpool. We're talking Dirty Harry here, people. Uh, the Deadpool, Halloween 3, ugh, 
uh, Bridget Jones Baby. Uh, if you have seen these films, what did you make of them? You know, uh, you know what? Surprisingly enough, I'm not afraid to say this, Rob. I like Bridget Jones Diary. I, I do too. I, I wasn't big on Bridget Jones Baby. You know what? How I feel about the whole, other than the most recent Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween movie, I am. I'm not a fan of the Halloween films. The Deadpool's great. Night of the Living Dead. Anyway, Rob, any of these movies stand out to you? I mean, you know, I, I, I like you. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, I have a soft spot for things like Bridget Jones's Diary, you know, and I, I these films, I'll I'll watch them. At this point, I'll watch anything new. <laughs> I, I I mean, I, I, you know, there's uh, I, like I told you, I saw this this preview for a Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jamie Fox movie about being able to take a pill and you can become a superpower, a superhero for five minutes. I'm like, never heard of it. Can't wait to see it. Because it's new. I just want to yeah. see new good movies. You know and what? I think that's probably why I powered through Warrior Nun. I think that's probably why I powered through the entire... Even though by by episode four or five, I'm like, ah, I'm starting to get frustrated with... Like the first few episodes, I really got into it. And then by episode four or five, I'm like, I'm starting to get frustrated with it. But we powered through it right to the end because it's like, it's new. You know? It's new. <laughs> it's, it's new. So we'll watch I mean, it. So you know, I mean, Umbrella Academy season two is coming, and I'm like, I can't wait. Lucifer season five is coming. By the uh, way, we got how great does that look? Oh, dude, I I <laughs> loved the trailer for Lucifer season five. Yeah, I I just the whole idea that they're bringing Michael into it, and you I, you know what's interesting if you watch that, I keep I'm not sure if I pronounce the actor's name right, who of course played the president in 24. Is it D D uh, Dennis Haysbert? Has yeah, Dennis Haysbert. It I is a figure of him. As what? As the president of 24. Oh, yeah, 24. 24. Um, but he's playing God in this season, and they didn't even show him, which I thought was kind of fun. So, so good. If you oh, can't get Morgan so Freeman, he's the next best thing. Yes. Yes, he is. All right. Let's move on here. Dan Ketchum writes, uh, I watch It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Every man for himself. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Every year, the nineteen, uh, the nineteen sixty-three comedy classic had the most fantastic cast ever: Milton Berle, uh, Sid Caesar, Jonathan Winters, uh, Phil Silvers, Buddy Hackett, uh, Ethel Merman, Mickey Rooney, Terry Thomas, and Spencer Tracy. It was hilarious. You know what it reminded me of? I remember when I watched this. There's a there's a movie, Rob, that not a lot of people have watched, but you might be familiar with. I know you've probably seen it. But I know the first time I saw it, I thought about It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, uh, which is Rat Race. Yeah. With uh, John Cleese and yeah. uh, Miss, what's Mr. Bean's name again? Why am I freezing on Mr. Bean's uh, real um, name again? I'm, I'm freezing out. Anyway. Yeah. I'm too, um, uh, but he's when in I love, saw actually. He's in a bond. Um, oh, God. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson. Us. Thank you. Rowan Atkinson. Yes. Um, and, a, and a great other cast. The, the, the whole cast of that's great. And I remember when I saw that, the first thing I thought about was Mad Mad Mad. Were you ever watched that one? Or, or do you own the, the Blu-ray? Oh, I own the Criterion Blu-ray. Well, of course it's Mad, you Mad, do. Mad, Why Mad did World? I even question yes, that? Yes, I do. All right. Let's move on here. Next one up comes to us from Fifty Shades of Geek who writes, hopefully you can answer this. Why are people still talking about Daryl Hannah's ass? It's a it's Disney movie. So you can do whatever they want. I'm tired of hearing about it. Please, can we move on from it already, please? Well, I mean, it's understandable, though, that it came back up again because, you know, when the Daryl Hannah stuff was going on, the, the question about Days of Future Past came up. And, you know, a lot of people, including me, felt pretty certain that once they do put Days of Future Past on Disney+, Plus, if they put it on Disney+, Plus in North America, they would probably bleep out the F-bomb and take out the butt shot. And then they didn't. 
So I think that makes it relevant to then reflect then on the Daryl Hannah and the hair situation. I thought it was relevant to bring that up. So you got to cut people some slack for talking about because it was relevant. It's not like we just brought it up out of nowhere. It was pretty relevant to that. Uh, who does, who wants tells, to stop talking about Daryl Hannah's ass, though? It like, should be. A choice. It is a national treasure. It is a national treasure. I'm telling you, Daryl Hannah, man or woman, one of the most beautiful individuals to ever walk. Man, she was so. And by the way, we always talk splash when we talk about Daryl Hannah. Which is perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Understandable. Nobody talks about Roxanne that she did with Steve Martin. Their play on the Cyrano on the Cyrano de Bergerac story. Yeah. I love Roxanne and she's great in it. And her chemistry with Steve Martin in it is fantastic. You know, there's a movie she was in with Aiden Quinn. One of my favorite teen films of the 80s called Reckless. That I uh, forgot she was in that. Reckless is awesome. Uh, it, it, awesome. And, you know, of course, Blade Runner, Summer Lovers, and Reckless. <laughs> she was, uh, I mean, cl and Clan of the Cave Bear, dude. Clan of the Cave Bear. Uh, well, yeah, I never think about that one, I must say. All right, next one up, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, What did Fifty do when he was hungry? <laughs> 58. <laughs> there you go. I'll give you the drum shot for that one, 50. All right, next up, Willow writes, I've always found the issue of clothes with shapeshifters to be so confusing. Can Mystique, Odo, the T-1000 actually take off the clothes they've created in their shapeshifting? And if so, what happens to the clothes if they transform into something else? Okay, this is the, that whole thing, I believe, Rob, is yet another example of the repercussions of you just got to go with it. Because, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Hulk and his pants, Right. There is no way that Dr. Banner's size 32 pants don't shred into fibers when he turns into the Hulk. Right. But it's, you just accept it's always kind of there. Uh, but, yeah, that's a good question. Why? What, what about the clothes? Rob, have you ever heard a real definitive answer to that? No, but it's it's been an ongoing thing that throughout our lives, I think we've discussed. But I would I my own opinion is that no, when a shapeshifter shape shifts with clothes, they can't take them off because it's still part of them. It's still part of their bodies. You know, they've just shapeshifted into clothes. So if you were able to remove those clothes, that means you're actually removing part of the creature itself. It's part of their body. So they can't. That's why I find it strange. I I've never liked when shapeshifters shapeshift with clothes on like they make clothes for themselves i always think that's a cheat but that's yep. just me or didn't correct me if i'm wrong but did not the terminator and terminator 2 the liquid metal terminator didn't he come through naked and yeah. since his clothes are part of his was it was there not no need for him to come through naked since the, his clothes are part of his shapeshifting well that's that's a very good <laughs> but well but, but I would think that that they've made the time travel device. It has to like for, that's a, actually John. That's a very astute question I have to say. But now now I, if we, we were drunk at a bar, we would be talking about this for the next three hours. We'd argue. I guarantee you. <laughs> but the thing is, the the way time travel works apparently in the in the Terminator universe, flesh interacts. You have to have flesh in order to go back. Like it has to be 
maybe it's because how human flesh interacts with the energy or whatever. Organic matter. Organic, organic matter. matter. Right. So, but then again, I, I don't like the idea that shape shifting has. Like when when Mystique was introduced to the first X-Men, there's not a lot of physicality in her transformation, whereas turning into a clothed being as opposed to being liquid metal, that would seem to that's a lot of transformation. I mean, you have to make it look like it's real clothes and you have to create the fibers of fabric in order to walk around and make it convincing. I think there's a lot that they didn't take into consideration. I don't know about the verisimilitude of shapeshifters turning into beings that have clothes on clothes on them as well i prefer my shapeshifters to have to get their own clothes not create clothes i agree all right what's next here uh dave xp writes i was just wondering if x-men origins wolverine the wolverine and logan can be considered a trilogy or does fox's continuity schmontinuity make it not so uh, it's, it's an interesting question here's there's two different ways of looking at it i for one do not consider it a trilogy they're in no way really connected and you know logan was kind of you know the james mangold kind of even said it's kind of a different universe wolverine blah blah, blah. but remember we also live in a world where they call Shaun of the dead hot fuzz and world's end the what are they called the cornetto trilogy cornetto trilogy yeah the cornetto trilogy even though they're really not connected in any way shape or form but they still call it the Cornetto. you can call it a trilogy if you wish i've never considered these these films a trilogy but i also wouldn't jump to correct anybody uh who did rob would you consider these three films a trilogy i mean i guess you have to call them a trilogy because they're all about the character of hugh jackman's logan but i I, I usually think of a trilogy as a trilogy of film. Well, you know, there's much a trilogy as the Indiana Jones movies, the first three were. They were completely unrelated in terms of story, but uh, they're definitely a trilogy. I mean, now they're a quadrilogy, but uh, I, I think you have to consider them a trilogy because you are dealing with the same character. And really, if you think about it, in uh, or X-Men Origins, uh, you see the you see Wolverine's life when he's fighting for a hundred years in different wars, and then so we see the beginning of his life, and then it takes us to the end of his life. So in a way, there is an overarching story, even though, you know, Ryan Reynolds might differ, beg to differ with me, but I I think you'd have to consider them a trilogy. I, I guess I still lean towards not because they're not even in the same universe, like each of the three films, like at least with the, oh. Indiana, the, the Indiana Jones ones is an interesting one to bring up. I like that, but at least in the Indiana Jones ones, it's, it's the same Indiana Jones who had that adventure and it's the same Indiana Jones in the next one. And they tie all the characters and there's a consistency there. Whereas in X-Men Wolverine in the X-Men uh, uh, Wolverine movies, it's like each one is in a slightly different kind of reality and in a slightly different kind of world. And there's, it, it, it's the whole, Go back. You could Go ahead. say you could say that that's because Days of Future Past happened sometime in the and changed the reality. <laughs> no, somebody tried to do that before. That still doesn't logically work out. But again, again, I I wouldn't argue that it's not a trilogy. Um, I like I said, I wouldn't make I wouldn't argue against anybody who considers it a trilogy. I, I just personally don't. Uh, because of that those inconsistencies, but I think there's like Rob just brought up. I think there's good reason to to make that argument if you wish. All right, Jay Bling writes. 
What's funny about Back to the Future Part 2 is that when it comes to logic holes, people fixate on the Biff Almanac one. We just talked about that the other day. But they don't really pay attention to the fact that the basic premise of Back to the Future Part 2 is a giant logic hole. If Marty and Jennifer traveled 30 years into the future, they wouldn't find their future selves or children because for those 30 years, they've existed in a time warp and not in the real world. Einstein's test run in the first film highlights this. That's a, listen, again, that is part of the problem with time travel stuff. Time travel stuff in any movie just brings up a lot of potential logic problems. And you're right. If Marty and, and, her, and his future wife jump to the future, then they are no longer in their time. And therefore, they weren't there for the tomorrow. And they weren't there for the tomorrow after that. And they weren't there for the tomorrow after that. They've been gone and disappeared. Rob, how would you address this seeming logical in Back to the Future? Well, I mean, here's the thing. They, they um, obviously, at the end of Back to the Future, the reality that Marty McFly returns to is not the same reality he left. He changed the timeline because his father published his book uh marty is is um uh his mother and father are cooler people so are his brother and sister so he's actually living in an alternate timeline from the one that he left so indeed marty mcfly from the beginning of back to the future if that timeline continues he disappeared and was never seen again i think but can't you say in, in Back to the Future, unlike, say, like Endgame or Infinity War, Back to the Future treats time travel like a single linear stream. That right. time that time is linear and it's all one timeline. If you go back and change it, you change you change the singular timeline. There's not alternate realities. Whereas like in Infinity War and Endgame, they try to introduce it creates entirely new realities and stuff like that. Well but I, I, I mean, never got the feeling that's how they treated it in Back to the Future, did you? They never say it. They never address mm. that issue. They definitely they definitely say because – but look, if you think about it, there has to be multiple timelines in Back to the Future because Marty sees his picture of him and his, his brother and his sister. When it's, it's disappearing, it disappears slowly. So it's not like – it wasn't an instantaneous change. So the, the, the timeline, something is happening because there was a timeline – where that picture existed, and then there was a timeline when that picture didn't exist. So there has to be two different timelines, the one that's being created and then the one that he left, and then the one he returns to would actually be a third timeline if you really want to start thinking about it. Which So I but what's don't. interesting is when you get to Back to the Future 2 – He's able to go back to the original timeline, so it's confusing. Yeah. Again, I, I but this, think, this again, you create a, an entire mess. When you start using time travel in your narratives, you start creating an entire mess anyway. All right. Let, let's keep going here. Tom Riddle writes, uh-oh, Tom Riddle. Uh, hey, John, do you think we will see another Star Wars movie series this decade, or do you think they're going to stick to standalones like Solo or Rogue One for the foreseeable future? Hey, listen, there's a lot of years left in this decade. Look, I talk about a lot in the show that five years from now in Hollywood terms is an absolute eternity. Five years in the Hollywood industry is an eternity. So if we're talking about what happens five years from now, like just 2005. So, yes, within this decade, I do believe we will see Star Wars franchises again. 
Like whether it's an episode 11, 12, and 13 that now move on from the Skywalker saga and into the next generation or whatever. Uh, but yes, for the next couple of years, I think you're going to see focus on the individual films. They might even get into a little bit of series building with the High Republic, which who knows if that's going to turn out to be good or not. But yes, I do believe within the next nine years, I do believe we'll see a, the franchise aspect of or even maybe even episodic stuff will pick back pick back up again there's too much of a marketing hook there not to do it but again like i said five years is an eternity in this business dude so yeah within the next 10 absolutely an anonymous viewer writes hi john first time long time thank you so much man uh some quick thanks for before my question number one thanks for suggesting what we do in the shadows i love that show uh number two thanks for turning me on to zevia i got my uh, zevia right here i'm glad you like it too love root beer uh number three thank you um for uh thank you or Anne for recommending the show's kim's convenience uh from anonymous part well this is robbie was the anonymous viewer uh number one my question is is it too far-fetched to think that one day we might see a Marvel Galaxy Heroes walk into a Star Wars cantina or possibly some other location where a lesser Star Wars character might have a cameo? Example, a Targaryen, a courier droid, etc. And finally, I need to praise your patience for when I hear you answering a question that you've already touched on at least 50 times in a week. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much for that, Robbie. Uh, getting and, and thanks for being here, man. And thanks for writing in. To the issue of could Patton Oswalt's legendary Parks and Recreation uh, filibuster speech about crossing over the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars, by the way, if you've never seen that, you need to treat yourself, go to YouTube, search, uh, did I say Robert Pattinson? I said Robert Pattinson. Sorry, I meant, um, um, uh, oh, why am I freezing on the guy who did the voice of Ratatouille? Uh, uh, um Patton Oswald, Patton Oswald, not Robert Pattinson, Patton Oswald. You need to go onto YouTube and search for Patton Oswald Parks and Rec speech. Just go on there, search for that, and then enjoy because it is like five or six minutes of awesomeness. Anyway, um, it, it will not happen and it should not happen. It would make a mockery of the MCU. It would make a mockery of Star Wars. It would be the dumbest thing in the world for them to do. You could do that as a funny, as a YouTube clip. You could do something fun and funny and put it on as a bonus feature on a Star Wars movie. Like have somebody on the bridge of a, of a Star Destroyer in, in a little extra on a Blu-ray. And then, you know, Iron Man walks in. What's going on here? Just for fun. But you would absolutely, it would destroy everything. You, it would be making a mockery out of Star Wars and mockery out of, out of the MCU at the same time. This is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so, no, I don't think you'll ever see them do it. It would be absolutely idiotic for them to do it. And I do not believe you're ever going to see it outside of something like that's just for fun on YouTube or as a special feature or something like that. But, no, it would be absolutely idiotic for them to do something like that. Rob, this just, this... This is a conversation and a topic that's come up many, many times over the last number of years and stuff like that. But could you see them ever doing a, you know, Iron Man meets a Jedi or, or something? Could you see them doing it? Honestly, I can in some kind of Kingdom Hearts video game, maybe. But I, I just think that does anybody really want to see that? Like, like look, to, to be honest, uh, DC Comics and also pocketbooks published Star Trek X-Men crossovers with 
with Star Trek characters early on. Now they've done Star Trek meets Planet of the Apes and Star Trek meets Transformers and the Legion of Superheroes. And and to me, they always smack as 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 good as some of those stories have actually been that I've enjoyed. There's always something very creatively bankrupt to me, uh, even though we've been seeing, you know, team ups like that from the beginning. Frankenstein, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and they are, they inha- they are inherently gimmicky, and I I I don't like that. <laughs> I mean that's just me, and I don't want to take away from the people that are like, hey, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is kind of a fun movie. It is, but I, it just dilutes the. It, it feels like that's the end of the road for both brands. Once it doesn't feel that way to me with Alien versus Predator, if the movies were good, because you know those two monsters were both Fox character, but. Star Wars and Marvel did not originate from the same studio. It's just, I don't know. Maybe my logic is unsound. I don't like it, John. No, I, I, like, I it. like the way you put it. It feels creatively bankrupt. It feels like you just, we got nothing. So let's yeah. say the X, let's say the, the Avengers meet the rebels. Uh, yeah. I, I, nah, just, and, nah. It, and it's, 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 yeah, it's just, if you have the Avengers, you could take out the empire pretty quickly between Dr. Strange and the Hulk. I think any Sith master is pretty much done. Oh, don't underestimate the dark side of the force, Rob. All right. Uh, next up, we got Anthony R who tips like tip $20. Thank you so much for that, Anthony. If there's a question in here, we're going to segment it out and put it up on its uh, on the YouTube channel. It's own standalone video in the next coming weeks. Keep your eyes open for that. Anthony R writes, I know you love Man of Steel like there is no tomorrow. I do. And Henry Cavill is your favorite. But please describe what it was like seeing the Superman film for the first time. Was it like what was it like seeing Christopher Reeve running across the screen becoming Superman? I can't answer that question. I was simply I was simply too young. I have I I have no recollection of the first time I saw that movie. Even though Star Wars, like I was younger the first time I saw Star Wars. Um, uh, hold on a second, Superman the movie release date. Uh, Superman the movie came out in 1978, which was after the original Star Wars. Because right? Star Wars came out in 77. I remember Star Wars because that fundamentally changed my life. Like, even though I was like four or five years old, it's my earliest childhood memory seeing Star Wars. I have no recollection of when I saw Superman for the first time. Uh, Going back to my next earliest memory, I had already seen Star Wars or or I had already seen Superman. So I cannot answer that question, unfortunately. It was just, uh, it was a little bit early for me. Rob, do you have any recollection of the first time you saw the Christopher Reeve Superman, the world you're, you'll believe a man can fly? Dude, I saw the Christopher Reeve Superman at the giant John Dan cinemas in, which aren't there anymore, in Bellevue, Washington. It's a huge, it's the same place I saw Logan's Run. I saw the spy who loved me there. It, it, it was a giant. This gi- at least I remember it being giant because obviously I haven't been in it. It hasn't been there for a long, long decades. But it was this. It was this huge open auditorium, big rectangular square box with a giant screen and a thunderous sound system. And it was the flagship theater of the Sterling Recreation Organization (SRO), which, are, which was our biggest theater chain in uh, Washington state uh, in that the Pacific Northwest and their their corporate headquarters was also located in the same building so it was their corporate headquarters and the movie theater it's also the place John I saw Star Trek the motion picture a year later I 
I when I saw start uh, Superman the movie, those opening credits, you know the way it opens and the the movie screen in 1938, and you see the black and white Daily Planet above Metropolis. I mean, right? I I was 11. I think I was 11. I don't know if I turned 11 yet. Uh, it, it, it was every dream I ever had as I played with my Mego action figures of of Superman and Batman and reading my Justice League comics. It was so mind-bogglingly awesome because there was nothing, just like Star Wars, there was nothing at the time, nothing even close. I mean, I liked the Super Friends cartoon and I liked the 50s George Reeves uh, Super Adventures of Superman. I grew up watching that, but man, dude, seeing Krypton, this weird crystalline giant Krypton and, and, and then the opening credits – Oh my God! And John Williams' theme, which arguably was even better than Star Wars because it was more of a fanfare. Star Wars was amazing too, but it was like you'd heard Star Wars, and that was mind-blowingly awesome. But then the Superman theme, you bum bum bum, dude. I probably soiled myself. I swear to God. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Thanks for writing that in, Anthony. All right, next up, James L. H. writes, "Hey, John, strange anniversary for me." The 15th of July, 2019, I was on my phone watching a show from a hospital after a heart. I remember this I, because I couldn't relate. I was also in, you know, uh, some people don't know. I, I was coming out of a Muay Thai class and uh, sitting down waiting for Anne, and I suffered two heart attacks uh, on my way to the hospital. Um, so I, I remember this very, very well that you, when you wrote this in. After a heart attack and sent you a super chat about it, I still appreciate your kind words, but it's made me reflect on what's happened in these 12 months. Um, let's see, you pick up on, uh, John in January, I said on open mic, I had seen films released in 2019. Um, what was it? Is that James? L yes, it is. I had seen, uh, films released in 2019 in the U S but had just come out of the UK, such as jo uh, Jojo rabbit, 1917 parasite and many more. You said I may be, I may have spoiled, been spoiled for the year. Who knew way back then just how prophetic those words would turn out. Well, yes. And, and what an anniversary that is, man. And that's an anniversary to celebrate. I mean, you went through something and here you are a year later on the other side of that. And that is a major milestone and a major triumph in your life, man. And I still remember when you wrote that in, because obviously that speaks uh, very close to me and, 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 and dear, near and dear to me. And I, I remember you writing that in. So I'm glad we're now one year after. Yeah. And you're right. You're right, man. I remember we were talking about 2019 and as we were getting into the last right near the end of 2019, Rob, I remember us saying things like, I don't think we fully appreciate right now how great of a year this has been. Because there were some, there were some some flops at the at the big summer block office, a uh, box office. So a lot of people were like, oh, you know, twenty twenty hasn't been that good. But then we got to the end of the year and saw this huge plethora of unbelievable movies that came out in two thousand nineteen, and we we're like, man, we better, we should appreciate this. Sitting now in July in a pandemic red in USA when we have no movie theaters open, it really does. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I think when the movie theaters reopen again, I, I think at least we will get back to taking it for granted. But for the first while, I think we're going to have an appreciation for what the movies are and what that experience is more than ever before. How, how do you see all that? Uh, you know, I I just see that, that how our – lives like you think about it we have a finite amount of time on this planet and and i just feel like 
so much of America, not just during this pandemic, but all of us, we're, we're seeing our, our, our time. Time is the fire in which we burn, as Soren said in Star Trek Generations. And I feel like we're all just simmering in a pot right now. And nothing is happening. We can't leave the pot. We're just waiting until the heat gets turned up even more. And it's frustrating. Uh, luckily, you know, we, we've been doing the show. And I think that's that's been a good thing. I think we can reach out to people. But I'm an eternal optimist, John. And I think that when eventually this we sort of get back to normal and, and have we, 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 we are can get out of our houses, I think if nothing else, we're going to enjoy our lives a little bit more than we did last year. You know, in 2019, we might have complained. And at the end of the year, we got some good movies. And now we can complain, oh, 2020 has sucked. But I'd like to believe that, you know what? Maybe we're all going to uh, – the one shining beacon, I think, through all of this – is that we, the, the simple pleasures that we took for granted, we will learn to have appreciated them more. And I think when I finally get to see No Time to Die, <laughs> even, even if it's not so good, even if it's somewhere between Skyfall and Spectre, I'm going to enjoy it more and realize that I just got to see the 25th Bond film. And it might not have been perfect, but God damn, did I love the experience sitting in that theater. So that's what I choose to believe, John. That yep. movies are even going to be that much better when we come out of this, no yeah, matter what they to, are. We seem to appreciate things a little bit more once they've been taken away from us and once they come back. All right, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, I just watched Palm Springs. I hear great things about it. A pleasant I know me too. Felt, oh, you just saw it yourself? Or you no, no, I keep here. I want to watch. I'm so excited. I want to see this. Pleasant rom-com and well worth the watch. Best of the year? No, but solid comedy and solid cast overall. 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, again, there were three big movies that came out this past weekend on streaming. Hulu had Palm Springs. Netflix had The Old Guard. And Apple uh, Plus had uh, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie. And Palm Springs is the one that I haven't had time to watch yet, but I'm, I've been hearing really, really good things, Ben, and thank you for adding to the recommendation because I do want to get to watching that. I still haven't watched the newest episode of Doom Patrol either. I got to get on that too. All right, uh, James LH writes in again. One more from me, John. I have been a fan of Lucifer since the beginning. Me too, man. My favorite image on the trailer was getting a release date of 21st of August, partly because now I have a date to look forward to, but also two days before my birthday. So nice early gift. Yep. Now, the one thing that bums me out about that, though, is the fact that for the longest time, the word was that the first half of Lucifer, because they're releasing Lucifer in two halves, they're going to release the first batch, I believe, on August 21st, and then they're going to, believe that they're going to release the second half of Lucifer season five sometime a number of months later. But we had been hearing that it was going to be released in July. So I was kind of looking forward to it in the next week or two. But hey, August 21st is still a target date. I'm looking forward to it. It gives me something to get excited about. All right, next up, David Dilks writes, Something I never understood in The Last Jedi is that Kylo Ren uses the Force to kill Snoke, but then tries to have a lightsaber fight with Luke after it's established that he is immune to blasters. Also, is there a reason Snoke's guards aren't loyal to Kylo? Well, Snoke's guards were loyal to Snoke, so I, I, I'm not really worried about that part. Um, the simple fact of the matter is, they don't know why. Like when this, by the way, I love that scene when all the the uh, walkers are standing there staring down just Luke Skywalker, and they they fire and the smoke clears and Luke's still standing there does the little this. I mean, I love that thing. But at that point, Kylo has no idea what happened or why that happened or whatever. 
He just thinks he's the baddest guy in the galaxy, and he's going to go down there and take out Luke. So I I never really had an issue with that part. There are some things in Last Jedi I definitely had some issues with, but that wasn't one of them. Rob, I know you've you've also got issues with that movie, but is is that particular scene or sequence one of the things that you had an issue with? I, I for me, I never gave it a second thought. What did you? think? No, I I loved it. I mean, I've always thought that the the ultimate. You know, the ultimate example of of being a Jedi at the height of your powers is to not have to actually fight. You know, you, you, you use the force only for defense, never for attack. That's what Yoda tells Luke, right? So I, I think the idea of force projecting yourself into a, a battle to make your enemy think he's attacking you is the ultimate example of the ultimate Jedi move, which I really liked it. And it, it was surprising because in the movie – you don't know it's coming, and then when he gets blasted and brushes himself off, it was I I I, I that was one of the most innovative things in the film, and I, I loved it. I loved it. I agree. I like that one. All right. Uh, next up, uh, John uh, Klobuchar writes: Am I the only one who hates Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec? You know, listen. Here's the thing about uh, who's played by Aziz and sorry, Tom Haverford is a hilarious. I think he's a hilarious character on the show, but. There are many times during that show that I wonder, why would these people be friends with this guy? Right? Why would these people be friends? There's one episode in particular in Parks and Rec. And Rob, I can't remember if you watched a lot of Parks and Rec or not. Because I know you haven't still haven't watched The Office. So I can't remember if you've seen Parks and Rec. But there's this one episode in particular where Leslie is running for office. It's getting tight. She has this incredibly important event. And Tom completely – some of you guys who watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. Tom hijacks the event and makes it all about him and his company, trying to make her her campaign event all about a promotion thing for his um, entertainment uh, – what was it? 720? I think that was the name of it. And it's he's a real dick. And like while I find the character hilarious and very entertaining the show, you're not alone, John. I've often, I often found myself watching the show going, why would they be friends with him? Because, I mean, underneath it all, he's kind of sweet, but he's also a real dick. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So you're not the only one who's wondered about that, John. You're not the only one who's wondered about that. All right. Jaron Morris writes, hey, John, uh, great to have the show back. It is good to have the show back, Jaron. Thanks for saying so, man. Uh, Last of Us 2 question. What are your thoughts on that beautiful rocket ship scene at the museum that was such a touching and loving scene and really got to me? Uh, also, there were times playing Last of Us 2 where I said to myself, Ellie, stop and just go home because the stuff she was going through raised questions. When is enough enough? Oh, dude, listen, that's one of the best. That's that is the crowning achievement of Last of Us 2. And why I think it is an it is the absolute bar none, the best storytelling in any video game in history End stop, no doubt, no debate to me. It is it's so superior to every other video game narrative ever. Um, it's just crazy. It is beautifully cinematic in the way they address these character struggles and issues. And I've I've described Last of Us 2 story like this. It is an intimate study of what pain does to people. Last of Us 2 to me is an intimate character study of what pain does to people, even the best of people. And I, I loved it. The whole museum thing, I remember for the first couple of minutes when they get to the museum, um, I'm thinking, like, this feels kind of slow. But as you start to realize, they are laying narrative and character groundwork here. And, and I just started getting lost in it. And it's rich and beautiful. And again, I understand there are people who don't like it and they have their own reasons for not liking it. Fair enough. Um, 
all I can say is that for me, it was a stunningly beautiful achievement, uh, that story. So uh, that's my thoughts on that, Jaron. All right, Mike James writes, uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate the online community you fostered here. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Uh, after several recommendations on here, I checked out Transformers Prime, and I just adore it. Ten episodes in so far, and I love the characters and storytelling. Thanks, guys. You know, yeah, so a lot of people, Rob, I don't know if you ever watched Transformers Prime, but <laughs> no. I had I had a bunch of people write in and say, hey, John, you know, I, I'm like you. I only watched Generation 1. I didn't like Beast Wars. I didn't like uh, the other stuff that they did, but you should check out um, – Transformers Prime. So I did. And the first episode has a very short appearance by Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, doing one of the voices in one of them. I got three episodes in and I had to tap out. I, I got to admit, I, I sat down, I tried watching it. I got three episodes in. It's like, I give, I, I can't take it anymore. I didn't think it was awful. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was awful, but it just, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. But I'm super glad it worked for you, James. And now, uh, or Mike, I should say, I'm super glad that it worked for you. I'm glad you found something new that you enjoyed and you got to uh, celebrate, and that's awesome. All right, I just wish I had that same experience. All right, next one up, ZOMG Ruler writes, Perhaps different people were in charge of the butt decision for Splash and X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, what I find odd is the decision to leave Bart's wiener in the Simpsons movie. New Disney Plus members see that with five-year-old girl, what happens... Uh, uh, show has co coed butts too. Um, here's the thing about that ZOMG ruler. It's not an even playing field. One is actual live action. One is very, very basic animation and cartoon. And I, I don't think you can equate the two. I, I think it's an interesting situation you point out, but I don't really think they're equivalent because one is a simple cartoon one is not. I don't know, Rob. Do you see that being much of a discrepancy? No, I, 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 I look. I, I think that. I think that Bart Simpson nudity is funny. You know, I, I at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to traumatize anybody. I don't think it's going to traumatize anybody. That's the best way to put it. I mean, All you right. know, people do grow up with siblings and you do see each other naked and it isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's no nefarious. It's just kids being naked. You know, there's not like <laughs> it's not traumatizing. Just people. Yeah. And again, I think there is a fundamental difference as well between having something like that that is animated and cartoon Versus yeah. one is not. So I, I, I don't really see those as an equivalent thing. Plus but the context thing. it's presented in. I mean, you know, the yeah. human form is beautiful. It's it's like when when you go to a museum and you see like Michelangelo's David, it's you're not supposed to get all turned on by it. And it's just the human form. All right, let's move on. Next up here, Jordan RTK writes, Hey, John, in regards to your question yesterday about Man of Steel, during the first uh, flight scene, Jarrell explains that Earth's gravity is weaker, its atmosphere is also more nourishing than Krypton's. I assume this refers to the different compounds in the air. So, yeah, so one of the things, of course, we talked about this yesterday was we talked about the sun's radiation, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, that's also a little inconsistent, saying its, it's atmosphere is more nourishing. 
Kryptonians showing up on Earth, that doesn't look like it's real nourishing. It's looked like they have to go through a very hard metamorphosis, something that's very painful that even like General Zod, who's a trained mm. military soldier, had great difficulty with and something that Clark struggled, even though he grew up in that environment, struggled very hard. Of course, Ma Kent talking about having to watch him as he was just as young and it was in his bed, like just every every day was a fight for him just to breathe. And Ma Kent talking about all kind of stuff. So yeah, I know they try to explain it, but I, I don't know if that works very well. Did, Rob, does that comment kind of change your perception of it? No, I mean, look, that it's more nourishing is one thing. It doesn't mean it provides superpowers. I, 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 I just don't buy into the atmosphere thing. Like, here we're talking about the science behind Superman's abilities. But I do think that radiation and and somehow changing the sunlight and the radiant energy of the sun through your cells seems more plausible to me than the air that you breathe. Right. Because there's some right. kind of there's some kind of transference happening. I mean, I know you could say, well, oxygen, you know, it's providing oxygen, but does Superman relieve it? The funny thing is Superman can survive in space. I mean, I know with John John Byrne they sort of change it where he needed air, but but does Superman even really need oxygen? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the sunlight's what gives him any nourishment. All right, that's a good. It's a good point to bring up, though, Jordan RTK. That's a good one to bring up. All right, uh, Josh writes one of two. Here's an obscure one for you. I just had sex and I'm about to eat nachos. Oh, I know this one. Hold on a second. And I'm about to eat nachos. It's the greatest moment of my life, unless you screw it up with whatever you're about to say. That is uh, because of the way he says it. That's Adam Driver uh, from a romantic. Is like a. Uh, it's a rom com movie that he did with um, uh, Harry Potter boy uh, Daniel Radcliffe. It was a Daniel Radcliffe movie, and, and Adam Driver was in it. This is before Star Wars. I just had sex, and I'm about to eat nachos. Um, I can't remember the name of it, though. That's a good day, uh, by the way. That is a good day. Oh, sorry, one or two, and uh, sorry, where's your next one? There it is. Um, a quote, there it is, yes. A quote by Adam Driver, whilst completely stealing the F word, retailed, what if, that was the name of the movie. Thank you for that, Josh. Uh, what if in the U.S., thanks to the MPA, uh, from Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, brilliant little rom-com, and my first introduction to Adam Driver about a year before that. It's a fun little movie. It was a fun little movie, one that got overlooked a lot. But yeah, I remember that scene because of the way Adam Driver said it. It was a real, that's a good one. I like that one. Well pointed out, Josh. All right, David Crabtree writes, one of two. Um, okay. Top 10 favorite TV shows of all time. Number 10, 24. Number nine, The Last Man Standing. I, you know what? I love Tim Allen. I tried to watch that show and I just could not get into it. <laughs> Even though the, I'm forgetting the actress's name, Rob, but the, the main, the female lead who plays his wife in that, I believe is it's the girl from Mike Myers so I married an ax murderer. And I love her, and I don't know why she didn't appear in more. I, but I just couldn't get into that one for whatever reason. Anyway, number eight, Dexter. Number seven, Lucifer. Number six, Boy Meets World. My wife loved that. I never got into that one. Uh, number five, Seinfeld. Number four, The Office. Number three, Star Trek Next Generation. Number two, The Sopranos. And number one, The West Wing. That West Wing is so good. I was late to that party. I actually so had never seen West Wing until about 2015. That's about the same time I watched it too, David. I missed it when it aired. It was really turned off by the newsroom. I thought Aaron Sorkin's writing was obnoxiously heavy-handed and smug with his politics. I actually love newsroom, I got to say. But a friend convinced me to watch West Wing, and since 2015, I've watched it through six times, and I just adore it. But listen, seriously, David, I remember it was around 2015, maybe 2014. 
that I think I was sick for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, okay, I might as well binge. You know what? Everybody's always talking West Wing. I watched the entire series in like two months. I watched the entire series of West Wing in like two months, maybe even less than that. It, the show is really phenomenal. Rob, did you ever get around to watching West Wing? Did you see that show? Oh, dude, I was a religious West Wing watcher. I mean, I still – I'll tell you a funny story. I was actually, believe it or not, in Hawaii with uh, Brian Singer and a lot of the people that worked on Superman Returns. And it was our last day there. And we're at this place called the Kahala on Oahu. And I'm sitting on the beach. And I'm looking down. And I see Aaron Sorkin walking up the beach. Swear to God. I go, oh, my God. That's Aaron Sorkin. And I got up. And I went over to him. And he was just walking with his ex-wife and his daughter. I said, excuse me, sir. Are you Aaron Sorkin? And he goes, yes, I am. And I had just finished watching the first four seasons of West Wing in the DVD set because I got it for Christmas. And I just started talking there about two cathedrals, which is the episode where Mrs. Landingham dies and he goes into the church and puts out – he rails at God in Latin and, and Bartlett uh, smokes in the church and, and it crushes the cigarette out on the floor. I go, that was the most amazing. And the fact that I knew the episode and he, he looks at me and I said, why don't you come over and hang out with us? And he did. Aaron Sorkin came out and hung out with us on the beach in Hawaii. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Just that because like I mean, the- I was able to talk to him about the episode titles of one of my favorite. Uh, I could, I knew all the episode titles because I'd watch just watched the show, and he was totally like nice. I mean, he it could have gone. It was one of those things where I'm halfway through this conversation I'm having with him. I'm thinking to myself, "What the f am I doing, Mob? I've just accosted <laughs> a celebrity. You know, one of my favorite TV writers on his Christmas holiday. I must look like I'm insane." <laughs> But I think that's fun. awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> hey, listen, we uh, we have passed ten thirty, Rob. I know you've got things you've got to do, but in the meantime, dude, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Um, you can find. It's funny, I haven't told that story in years. I've. You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM occasionally. You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob's Observations, on a daily basis. All right, Rob, thanks for a lot for being here, man. And we will talk to you again later. Have a good one, my friend. You too. Talk to you. All right. In the meantime, guys, let's keep on going through your questions and see if we can polish off all of them here before the end, uh, before the top of the hour here. The next one up comes to us from Josh, who writes, after seeing uh, Palm Springs, which again, everybody's talking about, uh, after seeing Palm Springs, I might finally have to forgive Andy Samberg for That's My Boy. Oh, God, that movie's so bad. Uh, best use of time loop I've seen in ages. He and Kristen uh, Mil- Miliotti uh, from Black Mirror and How I Met Your Mother uh, have great chemistry. Um, I, again, I want to see this, but yeah, why did you have to remind me of That's My Boy? That's My Boy, because I like Andy Samberg because I'm a big fan of Lonely Island. And you had Adam Sandler. And so the comedy couldn't miss, right? Absolutely couldn't miss. And what happened? That's my boy happened. That movie is awful. Like pure, unmitigated garbage. It's so bad. Uh, But I'm glad to hear that Palm Springs is really good. I'm hearing nothing but good things about it. And I'm looking forward to watching it. All right. Josh also writes one of two. 
Of course, the dis the Disney's going to remake the sequels rumor is garbage. Well, yes, obviously that's garbage. Um, it will never happen. However, I'm not sure if I find merit in the they'd never reboot half the continuity argument either, uh, Mr. C. Of course, you and I and a million others uh, wouldn't like it. But Halloween 2018 and Terminator uh, uh, Dark Fate are two recent examples of partial continuity reboots. Obviously, different circumstances. Those franchises were nearly dead. Seven to nine are billion dollar plus films. But my point is that there is precedent. Yeah, there's precedent, but it, that's a completely different situation. Like Star Wars is a completely different situation. Not to mention the way the whole mythology of Star Wars is constructed. It's much, much different from the Halloween movies or the Terminator movies and, and all that kind of stuff where those franchises just went off a cliff and became obscure and all that kind of stuff. Star Wars is a different creature altogether. It's managed differently. It's treated differently. And like you said, the Force Awakens is a $2 billion film. To this day, it is the highest grossing domestic box office film of all time. Avengers Endgame is not. Star Wars The Force Awakens is. It's the number one domestic box office film of all time. Uh, and one of the overall worldwide highest grossing box office films of all time. The next film, another billion dollar film. The next film, another billion dollar film. It is a completely different scenario. Yes, have other film franchises done stuff like that? Yeah, but the scenarios were so radically different that you can't really compare them. You can't really compare them. So no, there is no chance. Don't don't listen to anybody who's telling you that Lucasfilm is going to reboot the the pre the sequels. No, they're not. That's that's ridiculous. But like I said on yesterday's show, I'm perfectly good with rebooting if they're rebooting the entire Star Wars universe. And it might surprise you to hear that I'm actually okay with that. Yeah, go ahead, reboot Star Wars. But with Star Wars, you can't partially reboot it. You can't, I don't want them, even though I don't like the prequels, you cannot reboot just the prequels. They're canon. Star Wars is a different thing. You cannot reboot the prequels, even though I don't like them. And so, yeah. But if you decide in five, six, seven years that, okay, Star Wars, we've played it out. And we're going to try relaunching it and rebooting it again in a few years. I'm okay with that if that's what you want to do. But will they ever just keep Star Wars going and just reboot 7 through 9? Don't be an idiot. I mean, they're, they're not going to do that. Um, you may think they should. And that's fine if you feel that way. But it's not something they're ever going to do. There's just no way. All right. Uh, let's see here. What's next? Uh, Jesse writes. One of two. Everyone's so negative about the new Lucas uh, film era. Not everyone. Listen. You may feel that way. The majority of people like the Lucasfilm era films. The majority do. But there's a lot of people who don't at the same time. But anyway, uh, everyone's so negative about the new Lucas era films. I try to find positivity in life. So here it goes. I'm grateful for Kylo Ren, for Mark Hamill's career resurgence. Um, anyone see how chubby he was in Chuck season five cameo? Slim down. Hamill is awesome. Um for some cool action sequences, for Carrie Fisher, and for most of all, for the newfound reappreciation of the fandom has for George Lucas, who has gone from public enemy number one in the early 2000s to a Jesus-like figure, and the fandom dreams will come and save us. Hey, listen, and I love, almost, I love almost all the Disney-era Star Wars stuff. I love The Force Awakens. I like The Last Jedi. Actually, there's parts of The Last Jedi that I love, and there's parts of The Last Jedi that I really don't like, but overall, I like The Last Jedi. The only film that I unfortunately really don't like. There's only one of them, which is The Rise of Skywalker. I, and I did an entire like 20-minute editorial on why I didn't like it. 
And I never tell anybody else to not like it. If you like the, the Rise of Skywalker, that's awesome. That's great. And a lot of people do. A lot of people really like the Rise of Skywalker. That's great. I wish I was one of them. I just really thought it was really bad. But yeah, I think you'll find that a lot of people will. With the George Lucas thing, look, I, George Lucas completely dropped the ball on the prequels. I still contend, though, as much as I don't like the prequels, I still contend that the basic story idea that George had for the prequels were great. Like, I've always said this. If you take each of the prequel films and you just jot down a two-page quick synopsis, like a two-page outline for what each of those films were to be, I would argue that the outlines are great. The execution, not so much. But I thought the outlines were great. And that's why I think the real genius of George Lucas lies in his basic storytelling. Like, coming up with the basic story, I think that's where the real genius of George Lucas lies. Um, and eh, it is what it is. But listen, make no mistake about it, Despite the fact that I don't like The Rise of Skywalker, majority of the people did. Even though I don't like it, even though a lot of people I know didn't like it, uh, with the rest of it, yeah, there are some very vocal opponents of the new Star Wars stuff, but the majority of the people like it. But it's, uh, I think there are things to appreciate, even in the things that I don't like. Like, for instance, I'll often talk about the prequels. There are things, I, even though I don't like the movies overall, there are elements of the prequels that I really enjoy. I think the pod race scene in The Phantom Menace one of the most thrilling action sequences in any Star Wars movie. I love the pod race. The sound design, the visuals, it's exciting. It might have dragged on a little bit long, maybe, but I love that. The Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, uh, Darth Maul fight scene, thrilling with the Duel of the Fates playing and all that kind of stuff. Fab I think there are elements of all the prequels that are really can be appreciated. And I think just like you're pointing out, Jesse, I think the same is true of the Disney era. If you happen to be someone who doesn't like the Disney era films, you got to admit there got there are things in there to appreciate, just like a lot of us who maybe didn't like the prequels appreciate a number of the things that are in there as well. Always something good to find in a Star Wars movie. Always something good to find in a Star Wars movie. All right, D.A. Miller writes, Hello, John, uh, and one and all. I was wondering if you heard of Grant uh, Imara's, I have heard of this, he was the Mythbusters guy, as passing, he was more than just a Mythbuster, he was a movie special effects guy in the early 2000s, from operating R2-D2 in Star Wars prequels, Matrix, and Galaxy Quest. Uh, also, for YouTubers, he played Sulu from Star Trek Con Continues. Inasmuch as everybody talks about writing and the music of the movies, uh, the special effects department definitely has a place in my heart. RIP to the tech guy of the Mythbusters. Yeah, I did read about this. I, I'm i just being honest. I have never heard of the guy. I, I had never heard of him, uh, nor had I ever seen him before. Clearly, I'm not somebody who watched Mythbusters. But I saw a number of headlines about this guy's passing. So clearly, he was very special to a lot of uh, to a lot of people. Uh, I, I just have to admit straight up, I, I had never even heard of him, which is okay because I'm pretty sure he had never heard of me. Um, but I had never heard of him. But obviously, when any whenever somebody as young as he was uh, passes away, it's it, it's tragic. And for those people, I know MythBusters had a big fan base, and I'm sure that's affecting a lot of people very much. I, I I've never saw him in Star Trek Continues. I've never seen him in in anything else either. Again, I've never heard of the gentleman, but. Uh, clearly, he had a lot of fans, and uh, whenever you see or hear about somebody this young passing away, it's always a bit of a tragedy. Tragedy. Thanks for sharing that, DA. All right, Ugg Britta's in this, writes one of four. All right, 
Today is the day, Mr. Campy. I'm going to fight you on midichlorians. You can, but you're going to lose. Uh, pause for don't mention those on my show. I've always found the OT gens hatred for them illogical. And when prequel, when prequelist uh, slash kids fight back, George drew from on history. And I always saw middies as an interesting a juxtaposition for the rise of science on earth. Churches responded to the rise of science, science poorly. Witchcraft sums it up, but just like with middies in, in Star Wars, the Big Bang Theory doesn't disprove religion. Similarly, middies don't demystify the force because they never explain slash disprove it. Uh, they just have a scientific reason for why some some can interact with it. John, it's like getting angry at the Big Bang for demystifying religion. No, it's not. That's that's a total straw man distraction argument. Just get rid of that garbage. Uh, study in the actual force, but you can study Jedis. Also, Sith were gone for a millennia. If I were on that first council, the first thing I would say is, hey guys, maybe we should get Elon Musk in here and see if we can figure out this force thing. So here's the problem with midichlorians. Number one, that's the, the comparison is a total straw man argument. And there's a reason why Star Wars has never gone back to the midichlorian stuff. They avoid the midichlorian stuff because it was ridiculous. I think even George Lucas regrets it. But the problem is the very introduction of the concept of midichlorians was a radical departure from what it had always been presented as in the original Star Wars series, which, by the way, takes place decades after the events of the prequels. So it's not like the prequels came along and they happened a hundred years after the original trilogy. And it's like, oh, now scientists, the Jedi scientists have discovered the medical. No, the stuff in Star Wars that was established, there was a great mythology about the force. Um, the introductions of midichlorians, because as I heard one commentator so accurately point out, okay, then why not just do a blood transfusion? Just, just take out midichlorians and inject them into somebody else. There. Midichlorians, everybody. Midichlorians. There we go. It's a simple finding out is just tapping into somebody's blood test to find out if they have midichlorians. If it was that simple, especially during the, the, um, the Republic era, every child born would just get a midichlorian test. Every, every child born would just get a quick midichlorian test. Right? It's just like uh, getting tested for polio at some point in our history. Yeah, simple midichlorian test. The Empire would just test everybody for midichlorians. Uh, every child born has to have a blood sample taken and report to a database if there's midichlorians in it. It was just such a radical departure in the fundamental understanding of the Force and what it was. It wasn't an evolution in the understanding of the Force. It was a contradiction to the Force and the basic understanding of what it is. There is a mysticism to the force that gave a lot of it its allure in those original Star Wars movies. And yeah, the midichlorians, look, I, I even know a lot of people who are prequel defender, defenders. People, I've got friends of mine who love the prequels, who even go, eh, yeah, the midichlorian thing is kind of cringy. So, I mean, listen, that doesn't mean you have to not like it. If you like the midichlorians, that's great. I'm not going to try to convince you not to. But I think the argument of, well, it's like science and religion. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because one is an expansion of the understanding of, the other is a contradiction of. At least that's just the way I see it. So, but if you like the midichlorian stuff, awesome. I, I'm not I'm not telling you you need to feel otherwise. Not in the least. But to me, it is probably one of the dumbest things ever done in Star Wars. And uh, something that should never be revisited. And they should just, I, I'm not saying 
it's it's canon now. There's nothing you can do about it. But just because it's canon, just because you have that stupid Uncle Eddie in your family that nobody in your family likes, yeah, you don't take him out of your family, but you may not invite him over for every football, you know, Monday night football gathering you have. I feel like that's the way it is with McLaurin's. We just don't mention him. We just don't bring him up. But anyway, there's that. But hey, man, you've got your opinion of it and you've got your feelings of it and you in no way need to apologize for it. And if that's your thought on it, that's your feelings of it. Good for you. That's awesome. All right. Josh writes. Hey, JC, the rise of Skywalker is pretty rubbish, but not because of Ray Palpatine or Kylo's redemption, but because the films they scripted were executed poorly. It's like the Raimi Venom Spider-Man three thing. Go make a good film with Ray with Ray Palpatine and redeem Kylo in it. Well, that's not exactly an accurate comparison, right? Because, yes, in like everybody wants to give Sam Raimi a pass for Spider-Man 3. It's like, well, the studio made him put Venom in it. Okay. Studio says you have to have Venom. Okay. Now make a good movie with Venom. Go. The thing is, there was nothing about Venom being in Spider-Man 3 that was a direct contradiction to the things that happened in in Spider-Man 1 and 2. Right? Ray Palpatine was a direct contradiction of what was set up in The Force Awakens. It was a direct contradiction to everything J.J. Abrams and Daisy Ridley and everybody else had said, uh, yeah, Ray was from no lineage. You know, J.J. Abrams even explained why it was important that Ray not come from lineage and that why it's it has gives it more depth and more realness and more importance and more value, the fact that she doesn't come from some mystical lineage that there's value in that. Daisy Ridley affirmed that, yep, my understanding of it was always from day one, Ray comes from nothing. That's what it was explained to me, blah, blah, blah. And of course, the original script for the third Star Wars film in the prequels trilogy was nothing to do with Palpatine, all that kind of stuff. It's a direct contradiction. The redemption of Kylo Ren comes from, you know, again, I thought it was stupid and they never did anything to build up to it, but hey, that's just me. But again, I think the Spider-Man scenario is a different scenario because just Venom being thrown in there, okay, Venom's there. That in no way is affected or contradicted by what happens in Spider-Man 1 and 2. The situation in Rise of Skywalker is. So while I agree that I feel like the Rise of Skywalker was executed badly, I agree. Uh, There are others who don't, and that's fine too. Others who love the Rise of Skywalker, and that's great. While that is true, the fundamental contradiction of everything that came before it, highlighting the fact that they never had a plan from day one of how the overall trilogy was supposed to go, that fundamentally is a part of the problem. That is fundamentally a part of the problem. Execution, yes. Could it have been executed better? Absolutely. But in this situation where you were radically changing gears from everything you had set up before and gone in a completely new direction in a knee-jerk reaction to to the reception of the other movies, that was also, in my opinion, at any way, Josh, that was, in my opinion, a part of the problem. Not the problem, but a part of the problem. Now, I did like a 20-plus minute editorial that's up on the front page of my YouTube channel about why I felt like the, the... the Rise of Skywalker failed. Whereas I like all the other Disney era Star Wars films. I like all the rest of them. Um, To me, 
from a narrative point of view, the the rise of Skywalker failed. And I go more into a deeper explanation about why I do feel like the sudden change of gears of Ray now suddenly is a Palpatine and all that kind of stuff. Why those to me were jarring and why they were contradictory to what came before and how that was a problem. Um, so I agree execution, but I also believe those fundamental narrative decisions were part of the problem. But that's just me. Not every not everybody's going to feel the same way, which is fine. But that's kind of my take on it. All right, Ismail writes. Since you like weird lists, here's my top five films with exactly two E's in the title. Number one, Shawshank Redemption. Number two, Blade Runner. Number three, The Social Network. Number four, Man of Steel. Number five, X-Men Days of Future Past. That is a unique way to approach a list, Ismail. That, I got to say that is probably the most unique way of putting together a list I've seen ever to you. Movie titles with exactly two E's in the title. I can certainly say with absolute 100% conviction, I have never had anybody send in a list like that. Full marks for originality, my friend. You got some great films on that list too. All right, Alan writes, Hey, John, did you hear about the re uh, about Ludacris's recent comments insinuating that F9 will go into space? We all knew this was a probability. Uh, this was probably going to happen eventually, but how likely do you think this is what will actually happen? Yeah, I saw that Ludacris interview. Listen, there was nothing in his words that that to me directly hinted that they're going to go into space in F9. What happened was a girl interviewing him, for those of you who didn't see the interview, a girl interviewing Ludacris said, you know, I assume at some point we're going to go into space. We're going to see this. We're going to see this. We're going to see this. And she listed a bunch of things. And then Ludacris responds, you know, one of the things you said is oddly accurate. So there's a couple of big question marks. Number one, which of the multiple things she mentioned, of which going to space was one, which of the multiple things she mentioned was the accurate one? And it's also important to understand that they were talking about future movies. Ludacris was also talking about if we do a Fast and Furious 10 and a Fast and Furious 11. He also mentioned those. So if she was, he was even talking about space, and then, then if... They were even talking about Fast and Furious 9. So I watched that interview a few times over, and there's a lot of ambiguity there. My guess is, and it's only a guess because I do believe it's possible, my guess is they are not going into space in Fast 9. It's possible. I and mean, that's just a guess. I'm not saying that with any conviction whatsoever. But after watching that interview, my guess is he wasn't talking about Fast 9. Maybe he was talking about space. Maybe he's talking about there are conversations that if we do 10 and 11, that we could take this sort of a story angle and actually go to space. But watching that interview, I didn't get the feeling he was talking about space in Fast 9. I could be wrong. I don't feel a great deal of conviction about it, but that was my guess at this point. All right. Uh, and by the way, Ethan just sent in a super chat badge. Thanks so much for that, Ethan. I appreciate that, dude. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, GQ writes. I saw Why Him twice. I love that movie. If it's the Brian Cranston movie we're talking about, Brian Cranston, James Franco, that movie is surprisingly funny. It's a it's a good, funny movie. Uh, I saw Why Him twice, and it made me laugh so hard, especially the bathroom scene. You suggested Dodgeball and Wedding Crashers, but nah. Oh, no, those ones are better. Those are two of the all-time greats, but um, I guess uh, I guess real comedy and laughter are hard to find now. What else do you suggest that really gives great laughs? Yeah, listen, we've talked on this show before, and a few people have pointed out that the genre of just really good comedies have been much fewer and much further in between these days. They just aren't as good. And, and I don't want to be one of these guys, oh, back in my day, but it's not even all that long ago. 
And you just go into the 2000s, stuff like that, where you had eras where you were getting movies like Dodgeball and 40-Year-Old Virgin and Anchorman and, you know, uh, uh, I Love You, Man. And, and so the, these movies were coming out in bunches, right? These great comedies were coming out in bunches. And we still get the odd really good comedy, but it's not nearly as good as it used to be. And I don't know if... It's harder being funny today. We've had those discussions before. Maybe it's just harder being funny today than it was uh, before. Uh, it's it's possible. Uh, maybe maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, it, it is possible that that's the case. But you're right. It is difficult. As far as other ones, I would really point to as being absolutely hilarious. Let me go back a while. One of my all-time favorite comedies, I'd say my second favorite comedy of all time, because my number one favorite comedy is, uh, Anch or is not Anchorman, is uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin. My second favorite comedy of all time is uh, Noises Off. It's an older film, but it's I find it ripping hilarious. It's got a classic cast. It's got Michael Caine. It's got Carol Burnett. It's got John Ritter. It's got Christopher Reeve. Um, on and on. The cast is absolutely stacked and it's incredibly hilarious and it's based on a stage show. And if you get a chance and you're just looking for a great comedy, maybe one you don't know much about, I highly recommend do a quick search for noises off, sit down with, uh, with some pizza or whatever and just enjoy. It's one I really, really like, but yeah, why him was surprisingly good. I didn't think that movie looked that funny. But it was surprisingly enjoyable. I really did like it. Thanks for sharing that, GQ. All right. We only got a couple of minutes here left, guys. I'll get through as many of the next few as I can. An anonymous viewer writes, I know this whole summer movie theater is uh, going season is not looking good. But hey, at least we got sports coming very soon. Hopefully it all goes well. And that's a question mark, too. Like the NBA is supposed to start back up here soon. The NFL is supposed to start back up. Major League Baseball is supposed to start back up. But with all the spikes going on, I don't know. I'm not feeling super confident about it. But here's hoping at least the UFC is going. Right? And by the way, there's a big UFC tonight as well. And then another UFC on Saturday night. Uh, I think this, the flyweight title is up on Saturday night. So we had a UFC this past Saturday. We got a UFC tonight. And we got a UFC on Saturday. Here's hoping sports are able to come back, man. All right. L Luis P. writes, uh, Showcase Deluxe opened near me on the 4th of July with movies for five bucks. So far, I've seen Jumanji. Uh, the next level, Jurassic World, Onward, Fantastic Beasts, next, Harry Potter 8, Jurassic Park, and Star Wars 5, uh, that's Empire Strikes Back. Is there any film you'd love to see at the cinema again? I mean, yeah, I mean, there are lots of movies that I think, by the way, Louis, that's a great lineup. That is a terrific lineup of films you get to watch. Um, I will take any opportunity to watch The Lord of the Rings on the big screen again. Any opportunity. Like, look, there's a lot of classics. Bridge in the River Kwai, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. My God, if you ever get to watch Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen, watch that on the big screen. But yeah, definitely Lord of the Rings. The next time I get an opportunity to watch any of the Lord of the Rings films on the big screen, I am going immediately. Absolutely immediately. All right, Stubble McShave writes, one thing I didn't like with Solo was that it all felt like the greatest hits movie. They hit all the backstory points. That makes me wonder uh, what the sequel would be about. By the way, did you see Rob's speakerphone conversation with Brian Singer on Rob's Rovations yesterday? I did not. I had no idea that he did that. He didn't tell me that at all. So, no, I'm not familiar with that. Um, I don't know. Listen, you can do certain elements in a movie 
Now, like Grace says, you look, you can't do a solo origin movie and not have the moment he meets Chewie. You can't do a solo origin movie and not have him acquire the Millennium Falcon, right? Like, I, I see where you're coming from that. And generally speaking, I agree. You don't just want a movie to be a greatest hits thing. But if you had done a solo movie and not shown where Han meets Chewie, people would have brought out the torches and pitchforks. If you had done a solo movie and not showed him getting the Millennium Falcon, people would have busted out the torches and pitchforks. I think it just would have pissed a lot of people. I think they knew going into it, those, there were a couple of beats that if you're doing a solo origin movie, you got to hit a couple of beats. And I think those are a couple of beats um, that they really needed to hit. All right, last question today, guys, and then we got to wrap it up. Uh, David L. writes, and it's a $50 tip. Thank you so much, David, for supporting the channel on that level, man. If there's a question in here, it'll also be segmented out and put up on the channel. David writes, hey, John. As the industry resumes production, what do you think about the new safety rules being imposed? What are you hearing from cast and crew about their experiences going back to work? Will most productions move to LA where most of the talent lives? Well, I think what you're seeing right now is a lot of the bigger movies. And by the way, again, David, thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level. What you're seeing is a lot of the production that's happening again is happening elsewhere. As far as the safety procedures involved... Warner Brothers, from what I understand, at least on the Jurassic World set, is doing a lot like what the UFC is doing with their talent. They're getting everybody in a certain area, quarantining, testing, and then once they test and they test, they test clean, then they're allowed to come onto set. Nobody is allowed to come onto set that hasn't been tested in a controlled environment area. So they are controlling. Now, it's expensive. Warner Brothers is said to have spent over $5 million just on these safety protocols. It's expensive. I don't see full-fledged production coming back to LA anytime soon. You're going to get certain things shooting here and there in smaller environments that are maybe more easily controlled. But I don't know if you're going to see big high-scale production ramping back up in LA anytime soon. I mean, the governor just shut everything down. So I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. At some point, a lot of it will come back to LA. That's where a lot of it happens normally. But right now, it seems like they're focusing their attentions on shooting stuff in other places at the moment. So it's a great question, David. We're going to have to see how this evolves over time. All right, everybody else from Alvin the Chipmunk, Jay Bling, Mahir, Huck. Don't worry, guys. We're, there's only a few questions left. We're going to start off tomorrow's show with your questions. Your questions are going to get answered first on tomorrow's show. So hang in there, and we'll get to those ones tomorrow. All right, guys. That will do it for me for now for this installment of the John Campy Show. We've run out of time. Thank you so much for being here. And a special thank you to all you guys who did send in the questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, because you supported this channel while you did. And don't forget, guys, you can already start sending in your questions for tomorrow's show. Be amongst the first questions getting answered. StreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. Guys, we will, of course, be back again tomorrow. So thank you so much for being here, guys. Be smart, be safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.